Welcome to class. My name is Jeff Pallier, and you're listening to HeroClix 201. With this show, I want to dive into details that many players, especially newer ones, may not know. This is a history lesson, where you learn about game elements that don't come into play very often. Today's episode was recorded on 19th December, 2020. Set Spotlight, where Jeff talks about a specific release and features noteworthy figures from that set. Armor Wars was a Marvel-focused set and the last release of 2005. There were 84 REV figures, 12 uniques, and a wide variety of other special figures, 7 bystanders, 4 battlefield conditions, and 10 feats. This set had some astoundingly low combat values. None of the bystanders, even the LE bystander, were very good. I'd say the best of the bunch was AWB002 Happy Hogan. His numbers were 69152, with no powers, no range, no team ability or special combat symbols for 7 points. The 9 attack and 2 damage were what made him better than any of the others. The rookie Banshee was AW022. For 48 points, he had 6 range, single target, flight, no team ability, and would later be given the mutant and police keywords. He was only 5 clicks long, starting with 8-8-15-2 and ending with 6-6-13-1. He had running shot the first 2 clicks and energy shield deflection the entire dial. He started with 1 click of pulse wave, followed by two of incapacitate, and ending with two of energy explosion. Alpha Flight's experienced Aurora was AW041. She had five clicks for 60 points with Flight, the Avengers team ability, eight range single target, and the keywords Alpha Flight and Mutant were later assigned to her. Aurora's opening click was 12-9-16-2, and she ended with 10-7-14-1. She has a variety of speed-based powers with one click of running shot, two of hypersonic speed, and two of flurry. She also had toughness clicks one through four and battle fury on click three only. The veteran War Machine was AW069 and had a cost of 124 points. He had flight, eight clicks, eight range dual target, no team ability, and would be given the armor and soldier keywords. He started with a very respectable 12-10-18-3. His last click was only 8-9-15-2. He started with two clicks of running shot, then two clicks of force blast. He gained energy explosion on clicks three and four. Pulse wave was on the final three clicks. He had invulnerability the first three clicks, toughness the next four, and finally finished with a click of willpower. Range Combat Expert was his only damage power and appeared on clicks four and five. One of the many who have hunted Spider-Man over the years, Shathra is our unique for this lesson. She was AW086. At 99 points, she had flight, no team ability, six range single target, eight clicks, and would be retroactively given the keywords Animal and Mystical. Her only speed power was Flurry, which was on clicks 3 through 7. 
For attack, she had three clicks of poison, two of Blade's Claw's fangs, and three of incapacitate. She only had four clicks of defensive powers, with one of invulnerability, one of toughness, and two of super senses. Her only damage power was exploit weakness on clicks two and three. Her opening click was 11 11 16 3, and click 8 was 7 8 13 2. AW214 Tony Stark was a prize of the named version of the REV Iron Man from the main set. For an even 150 points, he brought to the table 8 clicks, 10 range dual targets, the Avengers team ability, flight, and would retroactively be given the armor, shield, and scientist keywords. His strong opening click was 10-10-17-3. In fact, he had 3 printed damage for 5 of those 8 clicks, even on his last click, which was 7-7-14-3. Tony Stark brought with him a variety of powers. 2 opening clicks of running shot led to 3 clicks of force blast. He didn't have an attack power on the first 2 clicks, but followed that with 2 of pulse wave and then energy explosion the rest of the dial. Two clicks of invulnerability led to four clicks of toughness, and he finished with two clicks of willpower. Tony Stark had perplex on his first click, range combat expert on clicks two, four, and five, and outwit on all the other clicks. There were two free comic book day figures, AW119 and AW120. They were both Wolverine, and except for the color of his shirt, were identical. Wolverine had the purple ring of a promotional figure and a cost of 57 points. He had 8 clicks of life, no range, the X-Men team ability, and would be given the X-Men keyword too. He started at 8-10-16-2 and ended at 6-8-13-1. The top half of his dial was red with flurry on clicks 3 through 5 and blades claws fangs on clicks 1 and 2. One click of toughness was followed by two clicks of combat reflexes. He had willpower on clicks 4 through 6 and regeneration on clicks 7 and 8. Wolverine had close combat expert on clicks 5 and 6 and battle fury on clicks 2 through 4 and 7 through 8. All in all, I think this was a very good representation of Wolverine for the time. Finally, we have the mail-away figure, AW221 Phoenix. Phoenix came on a 2x2 base and was playable with 17 clicks for 800 points, 14 clicks for 600 points, and 11 clicks for 400 points. She had Flight, the Colossal Damage Symbol, 8 range dual target, and the X-Men team ability. Phoenix was retroactively given the Cosmic, Psychic, and X-Men keywords. At 800 points, she started with 12, 13, 18, 6. For 600 points, she opened with 10, 11, 17, 5, and at 400 points, she started with 10, 10, 17, 4. Her final click for any value was 7, 7, 14, 5, although it should be noted that her damage value did drop to 3 before rallying on that final click. Rather than list what power Phoenix had on specific clicks for such a long dial, I'll just say that at various points, she had running shot, telekinesis, penetrating psychic blast, Energy Explosion, Pulse Wave, Impervious, Invulnerability, Toughness, and Outwit. For the full dial, you can check the visual companion for this episode, Let'sClicks.com or HC Realms.
There are keywords we all know and use, both named and generic. But what about the other, almost unknown keywords? Let's reach into the keyword cornucopia. Beta Flight was another Canadian superhero team. The members of Beta Flight were considered still in training and not ready for Alpha Flight. Some members have been Box, Goblin, Flashback, Persuasion, and Witchfire. The only two characters that have received the Beta Flight keyword in Heroclix form were Veteran Vindicator from Supernova and Rookie Marina from Armor Wars. Our other keyword for this episode is also from Canada, Omega Flight. The original Omega Flight was a team of villains formed to destroy Alpha Flight. It was formed by the Master of the World. None of the characters from this version have ever been clicked. It's Team Ability Time Capsule. In this segment, Jeff talks about an ATA or a Team Ability that isn't used any longer. ATA 057 was the Avengers Response Unit. The required keyword was Avengers, and it had a cost of 3 points per character with that keyword on the team. It read, quote, When one or more characters using this team ability is adjacent to a friendly character making a close combat attack, modify the character's attack value by plus 1, end quote. This was effectively a close combat version of the police team ability. I think this was one of the better ATAs. It was simple to understand, didn't cost many points, and provided an ability that was very effective. ID, Ego, and Superego. Call-ins were a major component of the competitive scene for years. ID cards are now retired and newer players may not even know these cards exist. This lesson, we're going to finish up the ID cards that were awarded as participation prizes in the Age of Ultron organized storyline event in 2015. AOUAUID101 was the card for Iron Man. Given how often Iron Man has appeared in the game, this card brought a lot of versatility to the table. The real name that could also be used to call in characters with this card was Tony Stank. I mean, Tony Stark. Despite the wide variety of people who have worn the armor over the years, most notably James Rhodes, I couldn't find a single figure with the real name of Tony Stark. The Tony Stark real name does allow for a little bit of flexibility as there have been several figures called Tony Stark and the Tony Stark inventor figure from the Secret Wars battle world. The inspiration granted to friendly characters adjacent to Iron Man when he was called in using the ID was twofold. First, it granted improved targeting, ignores hindering terrain. It also granted a plus one to attack, but only for range. The second part didn't help the character that brought Iron Man in, because they'd already taken a cost of action. The first part could potentially have been beneficial though. Say the character that brought in Iron Man had Perplex or Prob, but the opposing character that they wanted to use it on couldn't be seen because they had Stealth, and Light of Fire was blocked by Hindering. Now that Iron Man had to come in, your first figure could target that previously hidden opponent. The last participation prize card from Age of Ultron was AUID 004 Thor with a real name of Thor Odinson. There have been a few Thor figures without the real name Thor, including one from the Nick Fury set with the real name of Unknown, although we now know the sculpt is of Jane Foster. Jane Foster was the real name for Thor on figures in two sets, Captain America and the Avengers and the Mighty Thor. Other real names included 
Eric Masterson in The Mighty Thor, and Varius in Black Panther and the Illuminati. The real name of Thor Odinson could also be used to call in King Thor from Avengers Assemble, Venom Thor from What If, Unworthy Thor, and a figure actually called Thor Odinson from The Mighty Thor, and both Ultimate Thor and Destroyer Thor from Secret Wars Battleworld. The inspiration granted to adjacent characters when a Thor was brought in was to grant a minimum range of 6 and an additional lightning bolt to the one on their base. Unless the figure that brought Thor in had a power they could use at no cost, such as a special free incapacitate, this wouldn't do them any good. In Map Minutiae, Jeff covers a specific map or two from the hundreds that have been produced over the years. This time we are going to cover, appropriately enough, the only map released with the Armor Wars set, although it was created by a third party, Dungeni. This map was called The Lab, and was an indoor-outdoor map. A standard 16 square by 24 square map, both starting areas were 2 by 12 rectangles in open outdoor terrain along the short sides of the map. The indoor portion of the map was two offset rooms that were each two squares from one starting area and seven squares from the other. A single doorway in rows 13 and 14 between columns H and I connected the two rooms. One outdoor area was completely clear of special terrain, while by contrast the other starting area had two areas of hindering and a two squares by four squares area of water. The rooms were also different. The room closer to the outdoor area with no special terrain was one large area with a little bit of hindering and three areas of blocking. The other large room was broken up into three smaller rooms that all had some hindering terrain. The lab is particularly noteworthy as being the first map where the terrain was clearly marked. Players no longer had to guess and agree on what the art represented. Battlefield conditions could help your team or hinder your enemy. Of course, that's a double-edged sword. Time to break down some BFC. DNA. Our first BFC is, appropriately enough, AWB F001 Armor Wars. Armor Wars read, quote, When damage dealt is reduced by any power or effect, increase the damage dealt by one after it is reduced by all other game effects. End quote. If you were fielding a team that had damage values that were only one or two, Armor Wars would be a way to make sure they are still able to damage the characters with reducers on the opposing team without needing to rely on outwit. Inertial Interference Field, AWBF002, was also of particular help to lower-powered teams. It read, quote, when a character makes an attack using running shot, charge, or hypersonic speed, reduce damage dealt by two. Knockback damage is reduced by one, end quote. This would make an opponent relying on those move and attack powers to think twice about whether it's better to move out and make the attack all in one turn, or move one turn and then attack the next. What are the things you reach for when you want more than standard light and heavy objects? From cardboard objects with special abilities to 3D representations, from word balloons to light constructs, this is item inspection. The soda machine was a 3D heavy object that came in the indoor adventure kit. It's old enough not to have come with a card, 
but the instructions did say to increase the attacker's damage by plus one when using it in an attack. This meant that using the soda machine in an attack effectively did damage like what would eventually be called an ultra heavy, except that anybody with super strength could use it and it could be used with a telekinesis attack. Like all objects in the adventure kits, it also added zero points toward your build total. The impact beam was one of the Mandarin's rings released with 2013's Invincible Iron Man set. Like many of the ring objects released by WizKids over the years, it was big enough to be worn by an adult. This 3D relic was an LE prize and would be designated either IIMS001 or IIMR001 based on whether it was being used with the power plant resource or not. In both modes, the impact beam had the same effect. Quote, this character can use Force Blast. A target is knocked back equal to twice the D6 roll for Force Blast. Knockback damage dealt by this character is increased by one and is penetrating. End quote. The impact beam had a cost of eight points toward your build total and required a relic roll of four through six in order for a character to pick it up. For a price, you could add extra powers to your characters if they met certain qualifications. These are the featured feats. The shellhead feat, AWF008, was designed to help keep your heavy hitter from taking damage when it had to take a turn to rest. The prerequisites were that the character needed to have impervious, invulnerability, or toughness. The text read, quote, Choose a character. The ability modifier for Shellhead applies only when the character has two action tokens placed upon it, end quote. Said modifier was a plus two to defense. At a cost of 10 points, it might have made the difference between your tokened out character still having a high attack and damage the next time it can take an action, or being whittled down to an area of a style that you didn't want to see. Repulsor Shield, AWF-010, was both expensive and practical. It made the character assigned the feat immune to Force Blast, Penetrating Psychic Blast, and the targeting character couldn't use Range Combat Expert against this character. The character would still have been vulnerable to the adjacent attacks of Exploit Weakness or Close Combat Expert, but this was an incredible protection at range. Repulsor Shield had a cost of 25 points, and there weren't any prerequisites for using it. Time for character creation, where Jeff takes a character that's never been clicked or should be redone and gives them a new dial and card. Circuit Breaker is a character with an interesting real-life backstory. The character was created to be in the Marvel-published Transformers comic. However, Marvel wanted to own the rights to the character, so her first appearance was a cameo in Secret Wars 2, number 3. While the Transformers comic was originally intended to take place on the main Marvel Earth, commonly known as Earth-616, the comic quickly diverged from that and is considered to take place on Earth-91274. Circuit Breaker was Josie Beller, a technology genius working for GB BlackRock. After being critically injured in a Decepticon attack, Beller developed a wearable cybernetic mesh that replaced her damaged nervous system. It enabled her not just to move, but also to fly and fire energy bolts that could either be destructive or disruptive to circuitry. 
The cause of her injuries led to a pathological hatred of robots and an inability to distinguish between the good Autobots and the evil Decepticons. There is officially still a circuit breaker on Earth-616 who was similarly injured by attacking robots, just not robots owned by a company that's not Marvel. As a Heroclix figure, Josie would have the flight combat symbol with standard attack, defense, and damage symbols. She would have two bolts and a seven range. She'd have no team ability, and her only keyword would be scientist. As I've designed her, she's five clicks for 65 points. She'd start off with one click of hypersonic speed, followed by two of running shot, one of sidestep, and finishing with earthbound neutralized. In the attack space, she'd have a click of precision strike, two clicks of penetrating psychic blast, another precision strike, and no power on her final click. Defensively, she'd start with three clicks of energy shield deflection before gaining combat reflexes on her fourth click as she's now moved into hand-to-hand -hand combat. Her fifth click would have a special power that I'll come to in a moment. In the damage row, she'd have regular outwit for the first four clicks and then a special power, the final click. Her fifth click represents that her cybernetic mesh has failed her. At this point, she'd be nearly defenseless with zero for all her combat values except range. Her special damage power would be, I can still outthink you. This would grant her, quote, outwit. If this is used on a character with a robot keyword, then this outwit counters all standard powers on that character. End quote. Her lastish effort to take her hated robot enemies with her would be one last burst. Quote, stop. Power. Deal one unavoidable damage to each character within two squares in line of fire. Any character with a robot keyword takes two unavoidable damage instead. After resolutions, deal circuit breaker one unavoidable damage. End quote. That's it for this time. Thank you for listening. Hero Clicks 201 is presented by the Podcastcadia Network. Copyright 2020 by Jeff Pollier. Hero Clicks and related game terms are the intellectual property of WizKids. Any characters, fictional places, etc. discussed in this episode are the intellectual property of their current owners. Questions or comments? Want to chime in about an upcoming topic? Jeff welcomes your feedback. Search for Podcastcadia on Facebook where you'll also find a visual companion to the various things discussed this episode. Special thanks to Let'sClicks.com and HC Realms for being incredible sources of information and images. The theme music is Getting It Done by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Next lesson, it's extra credit time as Jeff talks about the Danger Room boxed set. Until then, do good, have fun, play clicks.